I keep referring to the pandemic as a as a very important pedagogic moment where people are learning a lot about themselves, about reflecting on how they're reacting to a crisis, but also in terms of global learning, looking outside of our shores in order to see what's happening. Um, I also see quite a lot of empathy for the other, which is very encouraging. We also see some, you know, generosity in the sense of you know, Chinese sending masks to to Italy because they don't have enough or, you know, th there's this kind of thing happening. In a, in a sense, it's bringing out the best in us, perhaps. It could, it has that potential. It has also the potential of bringing out the worst um, of, you know, um, f focusing on ourselves only and, you know, becoming extremely um, um, aware of our boundaries, of the boundaries behind our countries. So, you know, it can go either way. Like everyone else, I've been struggling with trying to figure out what's going on with the coronavirus, why it's happened, what it means, what the implications are for politics and for careers and for career guidance. But thankfully, I've been uh, very lucky because I've been able to call on two of my close friends and colleagues, uh, Ronald Sultana and Rhea Thompson. And so in this episode of the Adventures in Career Development podcast, I'm going to talk to them about these issues and we're going to try and figure out together what uh, the coronavirus really means for our field. So Ronald lives in Malta and Rhea lives in Denmark. And so I started by asking them how they were experiencing the crisis in their country. Okay, so um, in Malta, we're more or less very close to a lockdown. Um, it's a small island. We're on top of each other, um, very densely populated. So we have to be really careful. Lots of people are staying indoors. Very few places of work are functioning at the moment. Um, schools have been closed down. University has closed down. Most shops have closed down. We're all trying to telework and mainly staying indoors. So far, over 130 um, have got the virus, but no deaths. So we're trying to keep the country from reaching a peak. Perhaps then that was one of the first countries to issue a, a lockdown. So um, on the 12th of uh, March, uh, all public employees was instructed to stay home and all schools, public institutions uh, was uh, closed. So I have been at home, working from home, but also homeschooling my three children since the 12th of March. Um, and uh, that is uh, a challenge. Uh, it's incredible to see how quickly uh, the university have moved from, you know, face-to-face uh, -face functioning to online functioning, meeting with students, teaching online, having meetings but uh, so has the children's school. So the teachers are sending a lot of homework to do. So yeah, this, um, it's, a, it's a challenging uh, situation, not to speak about uh, the people who are, are getting the virus, who are in the hospital, and also the casualties related uh, to it. Um, it's a difficult uh, situation and unknown 
to everyone. The strategy for Denmark is to flatten the curve, as they say, but we do not know yet whether the strategy is working. So our government is under some pressure, but it's moved very quickly to do things that certainly we would have found quite surprising um, a little while ago because, it, you know, we've got quite a right-wing government and yet it's doing things like, it, it, you know, providing massive subsidies to industry um, to keep workers employed. Um, it's, it's increasing the benefits dramatically. It's investing in health care. So it's doing all sorts of things that probably, you know, we, if, if, if you told me when they were elected, which was only three months ago, that this government was going to do all these things, I would have said you were crazy. And yet, yet it's really shifted policy. Well, we have a Labour government in Malta and um, with a new prime minister and um, a cabinet which is relatively new. And they have moved very fast in order to pro provide some subsidies to businesses so that they survive. Um, ensuring that workers have a basic income, especially those who um, have lost their jobs. A lot of attention given, given to, you know, building up capacities in, in, in the hospital, in the main hospital, where they have, um, they provide free services. So, yes, I mean, it's really um, been a lot of work to make sure that we get ready for when it peaks. Um, uh, support to industry, but also telling industry you've had it good for a long period of time. Malta has been booming economically for the last five years or so. It's not only the state which is going to shelve out, but it's also you have to do your bit. So that's the kind of discourse we're hearing here. Yeah, in Denmark we have um, the social democratic government and we also have uh, what is described as the Danish model. Mm. And uh, I think that uh, what is happening now shows the resilience of the Danish model, um, uh, which is a model of uh, tripartite employment relations. So what we have seen is uh, that the, the government together with the social partners have been able to uh, react and negotiate within 24 hours. So the, the, the measures that have been taken are taken uh, between the social partners and not just the government. So. Um, this might prove that uh, the Danish model isn't uh, dead or dying, uh, that it's actually still worth uh, looking at um, uh, how, how a society uh, that uh, includes uh, government businesses and um, em employees, organizations, unions can actually also act uh, very quickly together. I mean, one of the things that's really surprised me is the, the global nature of this. I mean, we're sitting here in three different countries. I was on a call yesterday with people from from right across the world, so not just Europe, but also from South Korea and from North America and South America. And what was really striking was how much similarity there was in, in how we were all reacting to this. I, I just wonder whether you had any reflections on, I mean, we, we've talked and thought of quite a bit about things like globalization, but this is a real, real example where a problem is presenting to the globe. I mean, how, how, we, how does that change how we respond to it? I'm not sure whether uh, the fact that it's a problem that is presented to the globe changes how we respond to it, because what we see now 
are the responses of the nation states. It will be very interesting to see whether there will be a global response, whether there will be uh, global organizations, whether the EU will be able to, you know, have a response that includes um, more countries. So I think we are still about to see how the global response uh, will be, because uh, I think what we see now can be more or less understood in the light of, in the light of new institutional theory, where states sort of mimic uh, the responses of each other. And then it, it, in that analysis, it's fortunate what kind of response was first. I mean, one of the things that, that it's worth thinking about is what, sort of where is this going? Because mm. it's happened so rapidly and it's difficult for us to really, you know, I mean, it's, it's taken me a long while to kind of understand that it really is happening. Mm. And then and then to think, well, you know, how long is it going to last? And, and you know, one of the things that I'm really worried about is is a sort of big economic crash which it feels like we were kind of right for anyway and this seems like the you know it seems very unlikely that this won't tip us over the edge into it you know what what do you think the long term i mean is is there a better is there a more positive way to view this is that is is it possible that we will get through this without a crash that's a that's a huge question tristram <laughs> what is I don't expect you to have the answer. <laughs> no, no. I guess, I guess there's, there's, you know, there's the question whether it will be just a recession of the economy, or whether it, we will see a depression, which is something different, or whether we will see a third issue, which we do not have a name for yet, because we haven't experienced it yet as a as a global um, economy. Mm. Um, but I think that, you know, the experiences that, uh, you know, people have now on changes in their daily lives um, are profound and perhaps also different from um, an economic recession that is not caused by a health threat. Because right now, everyone, uh, even uh, if you are not um, made redundant, are experiencing very big changes in our daily lives. And usually during a recession, the people who, you know, are suffering the most is the one that lose their jobs. But now everyone is is feeling changes. And I don't know what that will bring about after uh, the crisis, but I think that it has already started uh, some thinking and also discussions about what a new reality could look like and should look like. Yeah, I mean, uh, like Yuri, I don't have things clearly mapped out in my mind, except that this has served as a big wake-up call in a very visceral kind of may, way, an, um, an experiential kind of way. Many of us have been, you know, hearing about the tipping point in terms of climate crisis. We have now been made to live through something which is the new normal. And that has been extremely powerful, I think, in making us realize that perhaps we need to revisit in a very radical way um, an economic system that is based on growth, on constant growth. 
and that therefore we should be perhaps really engaging with what does it mean to have uh, an economy based on degrowth, not on growth. And um, possibly what's happened is it's pushed us into that direction in a very, very kind of um, dramatic way. And I think there is, a, we have to see what's going to happen. I have absolutely no clue, but I'm somehow deep down hopeful that this pandemic has made us kind of think about the economy in a different way. Whether we will do that or not, I do not know, but I'm hoping it will. How does this, uh, you know, we've been talking about the political economy of it all and how it's changing the world and so on. But how do you think it will feel for individuals as they're making, going through their lives, making their career decisions in, in day to day and month to month? Well, I, I think, you know, I got a question from a potential student who wanted to do a course at the university. And uh, her question was whether she could um, attend the course uh, or sign up for the course but pay uh, later, and if she got a job, um, could she then get her uh, the, the the money uh, refunded? Uh, and I think you know that two months ago, I don't think that she would have posed that question. It would just you know have been you know the the the, the structures are the way they are. But I think because now there's uh, more flexibility around certain arrangements. Then she posed the question, could, could it work like this? And what happens if I get a job? What can be done then? So, so I think that um, more people, including myself, will perhaps question conditions, structures a little bit more because we have seen that things can be more flexible perhaps than we expected them to be. Perhaps it also depends on what um our social background, the kind of um, position in society that we inhabit. For some, this has reminded them of how precarious their living is. And they might make, you know, decisions about where to um, invest themselves and their energies. Others might have realized how overworked we have been in the past and disengage in other ways and make decisions about their futures and, and their future careers in other ways. So I think it's hitting us differently, this experience, depending very much on on our backgrounds, our social class backgrounds, basically, and our genders, perhaps. And we're, it's certainly make us, making us think carefully about our work ethic, why we put so much value on work and whether there's something else to life than work and pursuing a career. So I, I think this is, again, a, a very big pedagogic moment where we rethink how we invest ourselves in careers. That's What do you think, Tristan? How, how, how would you see it? I mean, I suppose one of, you know, on a personal level, you think I've spent so, I spent so much of my time traveling, like moving from physically from place to place to do things. And you, and, and then all of a sudden you don't do it at all, and it it changes your your life completely. I mean, I mean, in both, you know, I, I don't like being as locked down as I am, but it is interesting that that time and space suddenly open up to you in a different kind of way. And I suppose 
one of the things that that's amazed me and and, and you two probably know about this more than I do because you're in universities but you know I've seen universities trying to implement e-learning processes for for decades uh, I had a job as you know as responsible for for leading on e-learning or supporting on e-learning about probably 15 to 20 years ago at a university and I when I look at the process I thought nothing's ever really moved forward and then all of a sudden everybody has to do it and, and all the universities at least are telling us that they've got e-learning in place and it's working and every student is going to be able to access it and all of the academics who said that they couldn't do it have suddenly found out that they can do it and mm. you know you, you see these kind of, you know in that sense it has been a it, it, it's created a, a rapid transformation of our work and it, it seems difficult to imagine that that will just sort of go back straight away thinking about how do we manage these changes in our work and our life and potentially our values and how societies work i mean i mean that's i suppose where we think career guidance comes in is that it's about giving people some some support and some context to do some of that thinking i mean i mean apart from us i haven't heard a lot of people talking about how important career guidance is in the in the wake of the crisis um you know should should we be trying to should it be more important? Yeah, I, I think that it's it's uh, extremely important um, for uh, all societies that will witness probably a race uh, in in the a number of, of uh, people without jobs. But um, at least in Denmark, the situation has been that. Um, career guidance for adults haven't really been at the center of uh, negotiations or politics mm. for the last 10, 8 years, not at all. Uh, so we are really without structures um, to manage uh, people, to manage to support people uh, in, in what will be, you know, the aftermath of uh, the crisis, but I'm not sure whether um, the government is, is at all ready to think about what will happen next yet. Mm. Uh, but I think it's 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 really important to consider not just because uh, career guidance can <laughs> help people uh, look for jobs, but also because it becomes very clear that you know the 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 strategy where you uh, ask people uh, who are unemployed to look for more jobs, to send more applications, to, you know, sort of lower the social benefits because you think that that will sort of push them into uh, getting a job. It's not <laughs> a strategy that can be used in this uh, situation. So I think that career guidance is needed to rethink uh, the, the public employment uh, services uh, and support, but that's it's it's a it's a radical rethinking that is needed. I'm not sure whether that is going to happen, but I don't see how um, you can continue doing what has been the sort of the the, the major way of uh, of meeting people who get unemployed. Yeah, it seems that both the sheer numbers of uh, 
of what we, of what career guidance will have to cope with. I mean, I'm just reading that 3.3 million filed for unemployment in the States just last week. I mean, it's going to be huge, um, obviously, at least for uh, until the economy gets back to on its feet, if it does. My, my reflection on this is, as I'm trying to kind of go into the shoes, walk in the shoes of of the people who are going to be affected by this is that I cannot imagine myself just going for career guidance as if it's um, an isolated uh, a, a, a service that has clear boundaries around it. I'm imagining that people will need to engage with community support and community help across the whole range of roles that they perform in life, both in terms of their relationship within families, which will be hugely stressed, their sense of who they are and their sense of identity. I think a lot of people are reflecting without want necessarily you know, planning to purposefully, but it's happening. They're reflecting about who, who the, what their place in the world, in their communities and in the world. So I think We've developed a discourse around career guidance, which is very much around careers, as if careers really were at the heart of who we are as human beings. And possibly this has to, the, the, the boundaries between careers and other areas of life have to become much more permeable so that the very service we offer is different. This is at the moment where I'm at when I'm trying to think about, you know, had I to meet people like that to give a service. Um, I mean, I mean, that broadens the definition of what we're talking about when we're talking about career, doesn't it? It's we're, mm -hmm. we're, just, we're not just talking about somebody getting a job. Mm. Um, we're also talking about how people spend the rest of their time and how that interrelates with the job that they have. Mm. And I mean, there's, you know, I think there's the, the, I suppose, the more kind of like existential questions that we've, we've started to suggest that people might be feeling that you know, maybe maybe this period gives you a new perspective on your life that 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 encourages people to think more more broadly about what they want to achieve. But there's also the possibility that there may not be work, and how do you fill your time mm -hmm. with that work? And so one of the bits of the labour market that I'm most engaged with is the sort of initial transition, particularly from higher education into into work. And and you know, I've been talking to a lot of employers recently and we've done a survey and we've found that employers are scaling back their recruitment mm. now what are those young people going to do who are leaving university i mean even if you say well they'll probably find work eventually they may have a much longer period of time when they're going to have to find other things to do with their time and they're going to have to find other ways to sustain themselves they might have to learn about how you claim benefits. They might have to return home, do voluntary work. There's all sorts of issues that I think people are going to need help with, even if you just think about this as a kind of short-term disruption to the labour market. If you start to think, well, some of those things could become more structural and go on longer, then it seems to me there's a really strong case for, for sort of spending more time on, on career guidance. But... But, I mean, one of the things that I think both of you have, have, have hinted at is the idea that, well, one of the things that ways career guidance is often used by governments is to is to sort of as part of the disciplining of, of people and pushing them into doing jobs, perhaps encouraging people to take, you know, the lowest paid jobs that they can that are available and and, you know, 
encouraging that that sort of idea that you should be endlessly adaptable and, and you know give up what you want to do because you, these things are only the things that are available to you in this in this period of crisis is it possible for us to to position career guidance in any any other place one one of the models that comes to mind which seems to me really has a lot of um, promise in latin america during you know periods of great economic duress and distress um, liberation theology now forget the theology bit if you want but let's keep it there because that's where it emerged uh, inspired also by uh, a certain type of engagement religious engagement with um, marxism we came up with this notion of basic communities comunità di base they were called basic communities within within um, um, villages and towns where groups met and discussed their main concerns of life, which included work, but went beyond work. And the whole point was this idea of, also from Paulo Freire, which is to be to have the tools to decode what's happening. That's already huge. Understanding what's happening, decoding what's happening, not to kind of absorb some kind of you know guilt as to I'm not providing for my family because I haven't done enough. They actually understand what the economic processes are, who's making decisions, what are the political issues at stake. And I think I'm increasingly seeing that in a crisis, particularly in the aftermath of a crisis as well as during the crisis, there is the need for this community-based um, coming together where people are helped develop the tools to make sense of what's happening because many people are bewildered as I am. Yeah, I, and I think that's a that's a very good place to start looking for uh, inspiration for the future role of career guidance. But it comes down to, as you were saying, Tristram, how do you understand what career is? And also, how do you uh, define work? Uh, because if you define it only as paid work, you end up with, you know, career guidance hitting, you know, a wall because there will be less paid work available. But if you define work as, you know, humans being beings being active in their surroundings, in their society, in their community, then career guidance has a lot to offer because career guidance is a process that support people to find out what they want to do with their life. And um, it's related to what's possible to do. Um, but um, given that uh, um, it's, it's sort of a human condition that we are, you know, active beings and we want to contribute and we want to be part of communities, I do not see why career guidance cannot be, you know, at the center of, uh, as a practice that helps people coordinate that. So let's say a practitioner meets uh, people individually and see that, hey, 10 of these people actually share uh, ideas about how they want to be active, then the career guidance practitioner can be the one that, you know, brings them together, that supports them in coordinating their efforts, that supports them in finding each other and, and, and doing what they, what the work that they want to do in their community, um, whether it being paid or uh, what is also likely to be unpaid work, and career guidance can also be, you know, a practice that recognizes that 
uh, work as something that is really, really valuable to society. I mean, we have always accepted that, you know, the football coach is not paid. That person is doing a very valuable um, work in uh, our society. We call it voluntary work. And we've certainly had a huge explosion of voluntary work. I mean, I think I think the crisis of the crisis has, has really encouraged people to think collectively, to think about, you know, this is not a problem I can solve alone. This is a problem that I can solve with other people. And maybe I've got a role in helping other people and maybe they've got a role in helping me. And that's a really, you know, it's a very encouraging thing for people to think in terms of building social solidarity. And I suppose what we're trying to think through is how do you take this career guidance tradition that, that has its roots in really strong individualism mm. and and reposition it in that kind of, of space of helping to, to foster community and build mutual aid and, and those kinds of things. I have um, seen, you know, some examples uh, in Denmark of uh, uh, career guidance practitioners sort of volunteering online. So just posting, hey, I'm working in career guidance and uh, I have decided to spend some hours each week talking to those of you who feel that I might be of any help. And I think, you know, that's also the sort of thing uh, that puts uh, career guidance uh, out there um, with uh, the competences that, uh, that practitioners have to really meet people in the situation that they're facing. That's not, you know, bringing people together, but that might be a next step um, that would be to, to for that practitioner to say, okay, so uh, you're concerned with uh, these things or you're experiencing these challenges. I know that there are other people also experience these, experiencing these challenges. Um, what do you say if I set up, you know, a Facebook group for you to interact? You can see if it works, whether you can support each other or whether it doesn't work, but let's try it. So there, I think that uh, many practitioners that, you know, also goes beyond, of course, career guidance practitioners do have the um, possibility to collectivize uh, problems to a larger extent than we see today. What I be, will be looking out for and really curious to see is whether our career guidance practitioners and researchers can come up with uh, some kind of different understanding of our field, which is imbued with the kinds of values that are probably going to be functional in the future. That is, from a, a practice that is very individually oriented, um, oriented around notions of choice, individual life design, and so forth, whether we're going to come up with an alternative um, understanding of career guidance that is um, infused with different kinds of values that are more in tune with what's happening. Not just solidarity, but also new forms of engagement, engaging with work, like, for example, job rotation, commitment to universal basic income, for example, or flex security. So I'd like to see this kind of very important um, uh, dialogue between all these new ideas that we have about um, organizing work and how that would feed back into the kinds of career guidance that we offer. 
thank you both for joining me on this. I think we're all curious to see how it's all going to um, unfold. Certainly, I've been pretty surprised by the events of the last month, and uh, in a way, I hope not to be quite so surprised by the events of the next month, but we'll, we'll see how we go. So thank you. Thank you, Tristan. Thank you, Tristan. Thank you, Rick. Thank you.